Ready or not, I'm coming hot. Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Ladies and germs, welcome back to the Rage and Review podcast. Josh, Nick, Jerry, back at it. Sorry for the wait. Lots going on in uh, the Aber household, lots going on in the Jagno household, and Nick has been very busy with work and attending Astros games. So please. And also making my Lafayette World Tour during yeah, Easter. Right? You know what? We're going to start there. How was the return? Dude, it was, I was treated like a king. I mean, they set me up in my own little suite. And uh, it was, I tell you, what was really cool was just seeing, I didn't realize I really hadn't been back since like 2019 because I left and then COVID hit. So for two years, you know, it was kind of weird. So just seeing people three years later and looking at me going, is that, uh, uh, and just giving me that weird look was awesome. But it was it was great to reconnect with the fans and meet some of the listeners of the pod. That was cool too. So uh so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. And also got the team to score a bunch of runs when I went to that game. Yes, so we'll, you're blame, welcome. we'll blame it on that. Uh I, I could tell that Nick was having fun because the uh the Twitter use went up and the text <laughs> message the, the volume of text messages went up, so I knew Nick was well, having a good time. But it was the first time I got to enjoy a game, right? And yeah, not work it. And they, they put you in a sixth spot. So but you know what? The funny thing about the the podcast thing, right? So when it first started happening, Jerry and I we would text each other and be like, "Dude, just met some listeners. They know what I look like. That's weird. We don't. How does that happen?" So that's great. It was now. Let me ask you this: Was it some people that you knew from before, and then they heard you on the pod, and then came up to you and said, "Hey, love what you guys are doing on the pod." How did it go? Did they just know you? Were they strangers? How was it? No. So uh, it started with some, some of them who listen already and they were like, Hey, heard you, you know, kind of mentioning it casually. And then of course, as you said, as I started quote, enjoying myself more during the game, um, I had a couple, I sent out an APB on, uh, on, on Twitter saying, Hey, if there are any fans here, you want to come meet me, come on over. And so they did. So that was, uh, that's kind of how that, that, that happened. So it was neat. Like I said, it was cool to, to meet some, some listeners of the pod. Um, that actually knew who I was from a few years ago. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always interesting to see who actually responds to those things. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But we encourage anybody to come and visit with us at the games. It's You know, we're out there. Uh, obviously, every time we're at an event, we'll send out the uh, the bat signal, the, the we out you tweet that uh, people seem to love for whatever reason. I, I don't really know. You know, funny thing about that is one of our new creative department uh, workers, um, Heather, I don't want to mispronounce her last name because it's close to, close to a cuss word, but I saw her at the uh, Wally Pontiff Classic, and she tweeted out a We Out Here tweet. She's like, hey, that's our thing. And then well, gave, I mean, gave at the least winky. it's not a Florida, at least it's not a Florida, you know, staffer that left here and is now doing that there yet. They might trademark it. Maybe, has we'll she, maybe she has some Florida ties. I'm going to have to check into maybe. that background. Anyway, Jerry, how are things, man? Oh, it's good to be back, guys. I'm I'm sorry for the uh, the absence, but uh, with a three month old, uh, there's a lot of other 
family obligations. You know, I, I, I did not have the chance to attend uh, last weekend uh, because we had to, we went down to uh, New Orleans and uh, went to see family. So Allie got to meet some of her extended family. And of course, uh, my wife's grandparents um, and my parents were there. So it was a fun family gathering for Easter. But but I was able to listen to every game um, on on the, the app, on my phone app. And I was able to watch uh, the game on Thursday night. So I, I was I was still in tune. I was there in spirit. I, I'm sorry that I couldn't see Nick sign autographs uh, being away. But uh, I'm glad you guys had, had some fun uh, on my behalf. I really appreciate that to both of you. But, uh, you know, I... I um, I was able, I was able to still get the updates. I was still able to follow. We were in the group text, you know, you know, cheering them on and complaining at the same time, like we always do. So mostly uh, complaining. <laughs> I was, I was away for uh, family obligations, but still, again, uh, I was there in spirit and um, it's good to be back home. And hopefully uh, I can kind of be more in tuned uh, now that uh, things are kind of, now that the holiday season is over with. Yeah. We're going to have some coverage takes, uh, Regarding streaming and radio coverage and all that stuff, we'll get into that pretty good later. But we're going to go all the way back to Arkansas State, uh, a conference series that, you know, RPI-wise hurt a little bit, but not nearly as much as we expected them to. It helps that it was on the road. Uh, but I, I think we ended up dropping like nine spots after that that sweep. But the most important thing is that we got the sweep, right? We went on the road. Uh, it's well documented that this team is different on the road. They play a different, a completely different brand of baseball on the road for whatever reason. Uh, it's, it's odd that different different players seem to step up and different players seem to fall back. So uh, we can get into that also. But but look, we made the made the trip to Jonesboro. We got the three wins. Uh, I will say my lasting impression of that series is that Arkansas State, uh, God bless them, they might be the worst baseball team that I've ever seen with these two eyes. Yeah, it was odd because they're usually look, they, they really haven't had many winning seasons in the last eight or nine years, but they've always at least been somewhat competitive. Uh, I, I didn't really see that with them on uh, or this year or these last uh, a few weeks ago. I, I didn't really notice it. I noticed we pretty much controlled well the first two games we pretty much dominated for the most part outside of um, the last I want to say the the last few innings of the uh, Saturday game. The bullpen um, on Saturday did not pitch well. And uh, no. we were shaky defensively, which is something, and let's be honest, the defense, the Cajun defense has been pretty damn salty this season. Outside of a few games, you know, coming off of the Round Rock uh, experience, you know, that Indiana game was obviously ugly, but lots of things have changed since then. The Cajun defense has been very solid, especially in conference play. I think what's hurt us a little bit is just the lack of consistency on the mound. I mean, that's been kind of our biggest flaw all season long. Um, I, I've said it before conference that we need to solidify a weekend rotation, which we have, and we're doing the best we can with what we have, but I'm still seeing a lack of, a lack of consistency there for the most part. Um, and, you know, one day, and we'll talk about this, especially in the Monroe series, there's some things I want to mention about that, but <laughs> You know, there's one day you have a reliever come in, pitch the game of their life, and then the next day they just don't they don't do well, and and that's been kind of a flaw for us. And of course, that affects everything else. I mean, pitching pitching is is kind of the basis of your defense, and luckily the fielding's there. But when pitching gives up key hits or gives many too too many free base runners, that comes back to haunt us, uh, and that's it. That's reared its ugly head a few times. So, I thought that weekend. I thought we could have been more dominant uh, without 
the the the, the free gimmies from the pitching staff. So, yeah, it was. <laughs> Uh, that's one thing I think we definitely need to improve in and and really analyze deeper as the season goes on. Yeah, and we shouldn't have have had to go to extra innings on Sunday against Arkansas State of all teams. That was a little bit frustrating, and I think just goes to show you we blow them out on Friday night and we have to go to extras on Sunday against a bad team that all you have to do is put the ball in play. Literally, all you have to do is put the ball in play and something's probably going to happen and go your way. And we, and we had to go to extras to win that game. So I think it's just a tale of, of how our season has gone. You can look really, really good against a really tough team and then look really bad against a bad team. Um, I don't get it, but hopefully they can figure it out. Well, they proved time and time again that they could not field a bunt. They struggled with routine ground balls in the infield. It was very, very bad. I want to say we had it's four. Bizarre. Yeah, I think we had four or five bunt singles. And credit to our guys because some of the placement on those bunts were great. But at the same time, I mean, we abused their their pitchers could not field the position. It was almost comical. The catcher was totally lost, and I know that they ended up losing that guy. Um, what was that? Was that Friday or Saturday that they the kid got the concussion where he just went limp? You got, do you guys remember? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what day it was, but yeah. I, I want to say it was the Saturday game. I'm sorry, no, it was the Friday game. It was the Friday game. Kid gets, I think he gets hit in the head maybe twice in a single at bat, and he he just went to sleep. He literally just, I mean, he fell over, and the ump, you know, realized it. But but anyway, he struggled. The backup struggled even more. Uh, I wasn't impressed with their third baseman at all. Their defense as a whole, I mean, I don't know what their fielding percentage is right now, but it's got to be in the 960s. It's horrible. Yeah, it's terrible. 960, something around there. Yeah, they had, I want to say in two games, they had like 10 errors combined, which is unheard of at this level. Especially against a team like us. It, it, I mean, it, Sunday. It, no, I mean, Dex is going to bunch you to death. He's going to. He's just going to put the ball in play and make you beat him, which – is is great. That's where his offense really comes to. You know, it'll it'll really hurt you and and just kill you. Uh, uh well, I don't want to start crushing Deggs just yet, but Deggs' offense is perfect for that type of team. Well, that Sunday, honestly, if 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 Arkansas State doesn't make the five or six errors they made, they might have won that game. It was their errors that gifted us runs. It was their errors that gifted us opportunities. It was their errors that really helped us get that third win to complete the sweep. Um, and that to me is, that was a little concerning for me from our standpoint, because that's what it took for us to win that Sunday game. Um, but you play a team like that, you have to capitalize. And to our credit, we did that. And we got the runs and we got the hits and we got the, we put the ball in play to allow them to make those errors. Cause I mean, they, I mean, they were dropping fly balls. They were dropping easy grounders. I think the first baseman dropped a throw, like just basic stuff. Like it was, it was very, it was weird seeing that. No, they were, they they were bad. And Sunday we looked disinterested. You should never need five errors to beat a team that bad. It's just one of my big issues with this team and last year's team. We play up to the competition. We play down to the competition, Uh, you know, and that came out against Arkansas state, but moving on to ULM, which is, you know, where do you start? You dominate on Friday, and, and I thought we came out with some passion, like we always do at home. Looked good doing it. Uh, and then Saturday happens. And, Jerry, I'll, I'll let you take it from here, and, and then I'll give the critique. I want to give the, the positive spin. I'll let you, you do that, and then I'll come back and, and say what I get to say. 
going to lob the softball up to you. How about that? Um, well, Friday, I mean, the game was over in the third inning. It was like, what, 10 to 1 or 10 to 2 in the third inning or something ridiculous. I mean, we, we were just mashing on those first three innings, which kind of gave me, a, in my thoughts, was a preview of what we were going to see for the weekend. You know, the bats are coming alive. But on the other hand, you really dominated. You know, Deg said after the game, when he was talking to Top after game two, you dominated for 17 and a half innings. I mean, even in the second game, you're up five to two. All you need is three easy outs. And Rawls, is, was it Rawls that was pitching, I believe? National pitcher of the week. So, you know, I know hindsight's twenty twenty now. You know, a lot of fans after is like, why'd you take out Bonds? Why'd you put Rawls in? Well, because he was a national pitcher of the week. And if you would have told me going into that last inning that he would have pitched the way he did, giving up free base runners and allowing ULM to come back and take the lead, I would have lost any bet. I would have thought you were crazy. I would have been like, there's no way. Um, But that goes back to what I said about our pitchers. Uh, There's some games where they look like All-Americans, and then they come in and just look like, a bad news bear. Well, to your That's point about been, that, though, how often has that happened this year? You know, it, it, I, I would say that all just season, yeah, just all as a, just long. as a human element part of this, it's one thing to come in and blow somebody's doors off and have an incredible performance. That's one thing, and I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's one thing. It's another thing to sustain success, especially at the level that Rawls showed he could uh, achieve success against a, a really good hitting Louisiana Tech team. But you got to remember, nobody had film on on Rawls. Nobody had any tape on what he could do. And he had great stuff, and I agree with Matt about how hit the matchup with bat speed is good. I mean, look at what he did against LSU for three innings. I, I was pissed that he came out. I thought he had more innings in him. I think that he's a, a great matchup guy, which makes him a perfect bullpen guy. But sustaining success, having success, completely different things. Yeah, and I told you, I think I mentioned that on the last pod that I've seen it so many times over the years where you get a guy out of nowhere come out of the pen and just blow people away and have an amazing game or two. And then they can't get anybody out the following game and you never hear from them again. So yeah, I was cautiously optimistic, but it's happened before. It's not just this team. And uh, hopefully he can, like you said, situationally, I think he'd be a great pitcher. I, I like him coming out of the bullpen. I, I'm not a big fan of him being a starter. I think that was too soon. And also want to say after the game, we were all frustrated because again, you're dominating that entire game. You really, they only gave up two runs. Um, we pretty much, we were on cruise control going into the top of the ninth. I, my first reaction was, oh, easy three outs, game over. We win the series. Let's go for the sweep. And sure enough, that didn't happen. And look, we're baseball fans. We understand that, you know, I hear the quote, that's baseball. It's true. On the other hand. That was not baseball. Anybody who's saying that's other, baseball doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. That was well, not baseball. What I'm going to say is this. Even though if you want to play that motto, we still cannot afford to lose games like this, especially in the situation you're in. You're up five to two against a team with not a really good RPI. Yes, maybe sometimes crazy external factors happen in baseball. I get it. But that's something that was that we had control over. Walking two batters. I mean, we had a balk uh, in that particular instance. You, you just can't blow that type of game because of the ramifications that it gives you. We dropped, what, seven spots for losing that game? So... Those are certain situations and certain scenarios where we do have to have some more, we have to have some control and some discipline and and have some accountability on our end to not blow a game like that. Because now we're kind of playing catch up to the RPI, you know, we're kind of playing catch up to the RPI and now we're putting ourselves in position where now we're on the road 
against a really good Georgia State team that we can't afford that that really, to be honest with you, in my opinion, you know, I don't expect us to sweep them. You might drop a game against them or you might drop two games against them. Well, that win against Monroe would have helped in that regard. So that's where I kind of, when I hear that that's baseball motto, yes, crazy things happen. But in that particular game, you, you, you had more control over getting those three outs. You can't let that slip because of the ramifications that it's shown us. And, it, and, and unfortunately, it's reared its ugly head with, with the drop in the RPI. What does that do to a guy like Jacob Schultz who goes out and has one of his best outings? I mean, he was so sharp. They wasted that outing. You know, you, you, you rifle through Durkee, Rawls, Chipper in that ninth. You can't find anybody to get an out. We walked people. Like you said, the bulk. I thought the bulk was a lot more important than people realize. And then the kid that hit the ball out of the ballpark, Beach, he was hitting like 211. No power numbers whatsoever. And we groove a fastball. This, this goes to show you the psyche of a pitcher. We're struggling to throw strikes. We, we're down to uh, like the third or fourth pitcher of the inning. And it's at one and two. Count was one and two. Instead of trying to throw an out pitch or trying to stay away from the zone, we grew a fastball right down the middle, and the dude pulls it out of the park. First of all, who's calling the damn pitches? Is, is it Tib? If it's Tib, I would love to ask, what's the thought process there? I'm not grooving a fastball at one and two. I don't care how much we're struggling to find the zone. And I don't care who I'm throwing it to. Guy was a left-handed hitter. Uh, he put he hit it out of the ballpark. I mean, some of that part of it, Jerry, is, yes, that's baseball. Sometimes a kid just runs into a pitch. But when, when offenses, especially a scrappy offense, and give credit to ULM, like I said after the game, they hung tight after they were totally dominated for 17 and a half innings, no doubt about it. They hung tight, and they hit the ball when they needed to, and they put the ball in play, and they did everything they needed to do to win. But I still, like, we so, you're so much better than them. You should be able to – you want to talk about on inconsistent and, and relying on, on certain things. How long are we going to continue to run Chipper out there to, to close games? I know he had a stretch of a couple of weeks where he looked like he's, he's the guy. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how many people are saying that right now. Rawls, now that you know he can be a weapon, where is his where is his most efficient role? Like Nick said, and the way that I think is, I think he's a bullpen guy. I think I think that the, his matchup is what it is. He's a matchup guy. You bring him in for certain hitters and maybe elongated periods, but I think that he matches up against certain offenses, not necessarily uh, all you know anybody. I don't think he has the stuff yet, and maybe he's ramping up. Who knows? But so, guy, so so, where's Durkey's role? You see, Dirk goes out against Tech. He has a rough couple of innings, but he saves himself, and they didn't bring him back out for the fourth. This is the rant that I went on two weeks ago. I would have brought him back out to the fourth to tell him psychologically, okay, and we can get more into the psychological part of pitching, but this is part of development. This is where Robe was so good. You told him that you gave up on him, and then you went out and brought his relief in, uh, who was Bonds, and Bonds got himself into a similar, uh, similar predicament, and you stuck with Bonds. Kids, kids understand if they're trusted or if they're not. Dirk has, has his evolution as a pitcher. He understands where he's at with the trust of the staff. I thought that was a huge mistake not to let him get another batter in the fourth, and now you see he's kind of just middling in the bullpen. He doesn't know what his role is. He doesn't know where he's going to be used. I'm not saying that that's an excuse. I'm saying that it's part of the equation as to why we're not having consistent success with our pitchers, whether it be, 
you know, long relief, short relief. I think that our starters have kind of found a role for themselves. But that, that you know, kind of drives my point home even more. Now that we have a set rotation, look at the results. Yeah, I'll, you know, talk about, to your point, on consistency. One thing we have been consistent in this season and doing is letting one half inning, like, blow the entire game, right? They play good for eight and a half innings, and then that one half inning derails them. Arkansas. Houston, Southern Miss, Georgia Southern, ULM, that shift against LSU, which I don't understand. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But, like, we just let these things blow the entire, all the work that you've done, and then we just like, okay, well, all right, that's it. On to the next game. So, for me as a fan, that's disappointing, and I know that's not what what they see or or they go through as a team. I, I know they have a totally different perspective on it, but just from our perspective, it's like when when – we had the bulk and the walk and this and that going on. I was like, Oh, here we go. Like I was just setting the table. Like we're going to lose. We're going to blow it. We've done it five times this season. We're going to let this one half inning dictate the game. And we do. And Nick, so that, if that you, for me, is so it, hard to watch for you as a fan, if you're thinking that, what do you think the players are thinking? Yeah. Isn't Great it, is, I mean, isn't it plausible to think that if we're seeing things kind of play out and we are having that jump to conclusion moment where we're like, Oh gosh, here it comes again. I guarantee you there are some kids in that dugout thinking, hmm, well, here we go again. Yeah, and the hard part about it is you're doing it against a team like ULM, and you're doing it five or six times in the season where now you're, you had your RPI, like Jerry said earlier, you had your RPI where you can you know, start getting a little excited about perhaps being a bubble team or maybe getting in if you don't win the tournament, and we're just playing ourselves out of that. So it's, it's, it's like the team, it's like we're almost – good enough to be good, but we, every time we take one step forward, we take another step back and we're like, well, maybe not today, maybe next week. So that's what makes like this upcoming weekend even more confusing for me because Georgia state's a pretty good team. I'm not totally sold on them yet, but they're a good team. They've got some good wins and they've got a high RPI, but we could uh, watch us go into Georgia state and win two out of three. And that game that we, Probably on a Saturday because we struggle on Saturdays. The Saturday game, we lose in the in the eighth inning, but because oh. of a balk or something like that, and it will drive us nuts. Like, okay, we're great. Oh, well, maybe not so much. So that's what's so frustrating to try to understand with this team right now. Three games stick out to me that where our pitching just kind of let us down. Uh, South Al Saturday, where we walked two runs home, walked them home. We lost the game by one run. You win that game, you sweep. All right. Georgia Southern, who is now a top 25 team and who swept Georgia State last week and has also beaten Georgia, who is a top 25 team. Uh, we blew that game on a Saturday when we were up and pretty much we're up three nothing. I want to say in the eighth and we let them small ball us in the, in the top of the ninth. And we blew that game. That's two games. And then the, uh, the Monroe game, of course, uh, this this past Friday. So that's three games right there that, you know, you're. That's three games where that can divide you from a bubble team to being a team that has to win the tournament to go to a regional. Uh, that's those are three games that could possibly could have moved this up 15 to 20 spots in the RPI all because of gifts. I mean, we, we basically charitied these, these, these wins to these other teams and there are more, I, I'm, I'm with the, you, the Josh, first, the I, first tech game, the first tech game, the, um, the, the Indiana game where we literally just threw it away because our manager, you know, wanted to, 
send a message. Uh, there are many that we have just given away, gift wrapped it, and, and, and gift wrapped. And I'm not talking about like like you said. I, and I get the whole baseball is baseball. I get it. When you walk and hit by pitch guys in and lose because of the runs, or when you're supposed to be an offensive team and you win at the plate and you're hitting 258 as a team, you're you're scoring. I think it's five runs a game, which is like 211th nationally. There's a disconnect here. But go ahead, Jerry. No, I said what I said. I, I, I stick by that. Yeah, I just, again, I don't want to sound negative, Nancy, but it's it, the inconsistency we're talking about and the giving away of games comes from both coaching sometimes. There are some coaching decisions that we question that, that cause us to p- potentially lose that game. And then there are other games where Deg sets the table by bunning guys over and loading the bases and we get nothing out of it. And and Degs can't hit, right? So it's up to the players at that point. And then we lose a game because of that. I mean, it, it happened against ULM. I think we loaded the bases. Nobody out. We scored one run. Like that run, you know, score more and you might have really put it away and then ULM doesn't come back. So anyway, it's it's easy to look back, but it's just, again, we're, we, we can be good. And I think that's what aggravates me the most is that I see the potential that this team has, but they can't. Every now and then, just when you think we're kind of getting there, we take a step back and then you, you're pulling your hair out. So that's kind of where I am with things right now. I think that's the title of this week's pod. Are we good? That's, I'm going to go with that. Um, well, but- it pulls it, pull, it. And you say you pull your hair out. I mean, it's not against you're not doing this against the always doing against the best of teams. You're doing it against teams that you should beat like Monroe. Now, granted, the tech game. Yes, we blew it. Tech, tech can hit. They capitalized on it. You know, we gave them some easy free base runners. They, they got timely hits. Ten free but, base runners. But you know, um, it, it's it's all it, it hurts more when it's against inferior competition. Um, the Georgia Southern team that we really should have swept. I mean, they're a top twenty-five team now. I mean, th- 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 you know, I, I that don't get me wrong. You know, to, to their defense, people will say, well, Georgia Southern's good enough to do what they did down three, three, nothing. But you dominated that game for eight innings. We dominated you know, at home. But we're at good home. enough to that point. We are good enough to prevent that from happening. Right. Like, it's not yeah. like we're a bad team. It's just sometimes we just drop the ball and we get into this this one half inning that we that we poop the bed and then we just don't recover. And that's just well, the most frustrating thing. Right. And if you look at the record, we're 20 and 16 right now. Okay. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to say five games where we've lost like that. You go from 20 and 16 to 25 and 11 with an RPI again, 10 to 10 to 15 spots higher and a chance. Now you're, if you're not an at large team by default, you're on the bubble at least. And you're, you're not in fifth or sixth place in the Sun Belt. You're second or third or even fighting for first. That's how close, that's how close we are. Well, before we get into the Panthers, you know, our Cajuns made uh, the 45-minute journey over the bridge to the litter box this week for the Wally Pontiff Classic. I went. I did not have a good time. It wasn't fun to lose to those bastards, Jerry. I don't like going to Baton Rouge and losing to the refiners, okay? We got into a pretty lively debate after the game. There are some out there that watch the game that seem to think that LSU is very good. I think one person actually described it as, they're on another planet than us. 
and I got irrationally irate is how I would describe the way that I felt reading that text message because they are nowhere near on another planet than us. They are, they, you know what they are? They're us with three really good hitters in the middle of the lineup. In fact, we're a better defensive club. The ERA, their team ERA is higher than ours. And, I mean, I'd put Rock in their lineup, but outside of Rock, we don't have anybody else that can kind of keep up with their top five or six guys. Max is a chaos creator, but he's not going to hit you for average or power. Our team slugging is way mu- you know, a lot lower than theirs. So, yeah, if you want to make that, you know, if you want to talk about that, that's fine. You're correct. But their, their bullpen is more solid. I wasn't, I'm not impressed with their starting rotation. I've watched them play a little bit. I'm not overly impressed. But if you looked at just the numbers... They're pretty average. They don't even have a winning record in their conference. Now, I understand that they played a strong schedule, but we've played a much stronger schedule if you look at the RPI. They beat the hell out of us. We, didn't compl- we, didn't, we, did, we did not go over there and, and compete. We didn't. It was nip and tuck for three or four innings, and then, like Nick said, the floodgates just came open on, you know, there was a few plays that really changed the course of that game. I'll start by, and, and I know these things are anecdotal, but there are many things that you can point to. These are just things that stuck out to me. Jonathan Brandon is a nice kid. He's an okay baseball player. He is about your fourth best option at second base. When you're going into the litter box, I want defense that I know I can rely on. Warner Rinconis is not injured. Why is he not in the starting rotation uh, or in the starting lineup? It's, he's not a liability at the plate. He hits, he gets, first of all, he's probably one of our more clutch hitters on the team. If you look back throughout the last few weeks, he's gotten some very big hits. Why are we shifting? Well, I'll stick at second base. Second base makes an, a crucial error that leads to that, that inning continuing and Tally having to labor, and next thing you know, they've scored six runs. We can never know what would have happened, obviously, but... Nobody believes that Rinconis doesn't make that play. And I feel bad for John Brandon. He's a good guy, but that's got to be a play you make. You know, there was a play earlier, and I want to say it was in the third inning. The ball, there, when we were playing the shift, ball was hit really hard right at him. He gathers, he gathers, and he, he makes this throw to first base that was very shaky. The guy was out by half a step, and I thought, oh, God. It, it, it kind of highlighted the fact that, you know, Jonathan Brandon was in the infield. Now, we know he's kind of struggled with injuries, and maybe that's part of it, but the, even the throwing mo- the motion, it looked l- laborious. It just There was something off about it. Uh, but anyway, moving on to the, the, the shift issue that Nick brought up. You got a kid in Dylan Cruz who is an All-American. He's going to play professional baseball. If you look at his spray chart, he hits the ball all over the field. He is not a dead pull hitter. There are very few on that roster, actually, for, uh, for LSU. Why the hell are we shifting? It, w- was that another analytical call? I'm... I'm, I'm I know the answer. It's an analytical call, but at what point do you say this guy hits the baseball all over the field, including to Oppo pretty regularly? Why the hell are we shifting? I mean, it's a, it's an easy ground ball to second base if we just play the position. So well, that's frustrating, first of all. I think, I think what was more frustrating is that you knew that, I knew that, the guys calling the game on TV even mentioned it. Like, why? I'm not sure why they did that. Oh, I didn't, so I didn't I even know that. Was, that was the most frustrating part of it is that we all are going like, why would you, why did they have the shift on for this guy? I mean, they could have literally put it on for anybody else in the lineup, but they decided to put it on against him. 
I don't know what analytics, if they, if analytics told them that you need new analytics because that's, that's just not making sense to me. My daughter had a softball game the other day and she, she bats towards the top of the lineup and she got skipped over because there are three kids with her name and they have these little tags that they put on the fence and she got skipped over because, you know, one of the cards got moved. And I thought, that's what happens. That's how they coach in the dugout. They move cards around. No, I, you know, it, uh, it's so frustrating. And, you know, we've gotten to the point in the season where my negativity is starting to piss people off. And, and that's fine. I'm, I'm going to say what I think when I watch. But, but I'm going to continue to point out these small examples. Because when everybody's watching the games and they're like, oh, it's not Degs, it's the kids, it's the pitchers, it's the hitters, it's the this, it's the that. No, no, you know, Deggs overhauled this entire roster offensive. I say entire, probably like 60% of the roster in 2013 when he came in here midseason. And by the end, by the middle of 2014, we're a completely different team offensively. We've had three off seasons to get something right, find some pitchers, find some consistent bats, and it has not happened. Uh, I'm not going to get too far into what I think about Deggs. I don't think he should be fired for all you freaks. I'm not saying he should be fired. I'm just bitching about how he manages the roster. And if you don't watch the games and you don't know what you're looking at, I don't want to hear from you. Stop DMing me. I'm not reading the shit anyway. It's not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's fly by the seat of your pants. It's desperate managing. I go back to Bonds at Tech and and the way that they pulled Durkee and left Bonds to, to kind of figure his way out of it. I go, I go back to Rawls at LSU. Rawls should have come out for the fourth. I'm sorry, dude. If you have enough confidence in the kid to, to start him, let him get it. Let him go through the lineup for the second time. Yes, I know he got some loud outs, and I know he ended up giving the home run away to the, the Thompson kid where Max, Max literally almost caught the ball, and the ball was flying out of that park that night because the wind was blowing the left field. I don't understand. The, I don't understand the quick hook. It's, it's, it's to me, it is desperate managing. It's tight butthole managing. We talked about this already. I would have left him in for another hitter. I would have brought him back out for the fourth. That, that's me. He threw 50-some-odd pitches. It wasn't like he was spent. Now, maybe that was, maybe that was part of the deal. You know, maybe that was part of the, uh, the um, plan going in. Maybe there was going to be multiple, you know, pitching guy, you know, pitchers that were going to be seen that night. I still don't like that plan. I thought we got a coach. Look, if you're going to burn Tally for 60 pitches when he's got to suit it up uh, on Friday to pitch against Georgia State, a crucial conference series, uh, that seems like to me you were coaching to win. So I don't think you're Johnny All-Staffing a game that you're coming out throwing your two, uh, you know, your best Friday guy. I don't know. That maybe you guys saw something different. That's what I saw. Well, I don't think he's he's coaching desperately. I just think Deggs, it is in his DNA that he is going to take a chance and he's gonna roll with it, right? Um, and we've seen that this season. We've seen it last season. I don't think it's going to change. Fast, hard, and loose, baby. So that I, I think it is what it is. I think that is just his coaching style. He's not going to be the guy that says, oh, well, you know, it's baseball, and, and traditionally this is what we do. He's going to turn everything out um, upside down and say, no, I mean, I, you can do that, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to shake things up. And so that's – this is – this is what you're going to get, and I don't think it's going to change. And, Nick, to that point, I respect contrarians. I am a contrarian. I don't, I don't mind people that go against the grain. In fact, I embrace it. However, you got to be able to take the criticism because it's going to come. 
especially for dopes like me who've been watching Tony Robichaud coach a baseball team for 30 or, you know, 20 plus years and have a certain idea and that entrenched um, um, foundational premise of what good baseball looks like. It's good pitching, it's good defense, and it's hitting when you have to. This is, this is that on its head, and I understand that. And again, and also I'll say, I'm not saying he can't be successful. I don't, I, I, you know, this is not an indictment on his, his approach as, as far as how successful it can be. It can be successful. We've seen it be successful. I just don't know if he has the personnel to do what he wants to do. And my real issue is that he doesn't adjust to the personnel. That's always been my, my biggest critique of Deggs. We've got to find somebody to come in here and develop pitching. You saw it again against LSU. And, and honestly, if you look at the numbers nationally, our whip is not that bad. It's like 50, I think. And if you look at our offensive stats, it's pretty bad. It's just on paper. I'm not, I'm not really commenting on our ability to score runs or our ability to, to put pressure on opposing pitches, pitchers because I think we've done a much better job of that this year uh, as opposed to last year. But we've got to be able to defend. I think we're very good defensively. I think we've gotten a whole lot better defensively as the years progressed. Pitching-wise, something there's a disconnect. There, there's something missing. Uh, it For me, I don't know if you can get deep into postseason play with a shaky bullpen. I, I, I don't want to comment too far on the future with just that because there's opportunity to grow. You know, just to say that's a disclaimer for us. But specific to the game at LSU, you had another meltdown inning. You had bullpen guys come in, struggle to find, find the strike zone. I was very disappointed in Tommy Ray. I think he has so much potential. I don't understand where we're missing with him. It, it's like maybe the moment might be kind of big for him. I, I don't want to put that on the kid, but he's got the stuff, man, and he has a deceptive delivery. Delivery. I like the way he pitches. Couldn't find the strike zone in a big moment. Uh, tally labored, labored. You know, they put the ball in play on him. We walked. I, I don't know. It was a discouraging performance. You know, I know that we ended up scoring a few more runs and, and – it looked like we fought back if you look at the final line score, but at no point did we ever compete in that game. And as a Cajun fan who absolutely hates LSU Agriculture and Mechanical College, I, I just, it hurts. I hate it. I hate it, Nick. Yeah, I don't get, I mean, I don't get that disappointed over losing or beating LSU either way. Um, just because, I, and don't get me wrong, this game was important. 100% for RPI purposes, and I wanted to win this game. Right, But right. games in the past, I I mean, it's fun, especially when I was living in Baton Rouge. I think we beat them three out of four times during that. That was fun, right? So I get that. But I'm not going to put too much stock into, into uh, to losing to them. But saying, yes, we, we had an opportunity to play a lot better in that game. I expected we would play a lot better. And... Um, and here we go again, talking about that one inning that got us off the rails and derailed us, and then we just never came back from it. Um, but we we missed a really good opportunity to have a really good RPI win yet again, just like we did against Arkansas, just like we did against Georgia Southern for that one game, and, and we just didn't do it. So hopefully that doesn't come back to bite us, you know, later later yeah. in the season. I think the tournament yeah, the is our only way to the tournament. I'll say one thing, and then, Jerry, I'll let you take it from there with your biggest takeaway from the LSU game. But I just wanted to say that, the, that two two of the most bizarre home runs I've seen in a long time. Connor Kimple hit an absolute titanic shot at the beginning of what the third inning I think it was. I mean, crushed, crushed. And then you look at Rock's home run, which was like you know a pop gun. He just popped it up. It looked it looked like it was going to be a three hundred foot you know pop up can of corn, and then the the wind just pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. 
falls out, you were like, oh, shit, he's, he's, this is a home run. Wow. But, uh, yeah, Connor Kemp will hit the piss on that ball. You know, I, I, I kind of take Nick's approach when we play LSU in baseball. Um, I look at it. Look, don't get me wrong. I got family that went there. I got friends that went there. And, and we, we have our little subtle back and forth, you know, all a lot of fun. But, you know, I, I, I approach this game a little bit differently. I look at LSU as the LSU baseball game because, really, it is, it's just a midweek game. But I look at it as an RPI opportunity for us. That's how I look at it. Because, honestly, LSU really doesn't pitch – and they pitched their midweek guys against us. You know, they're not really going, uh, you know, let's put the weekend guy in like some of these other in-state schools do. Um, but I, I I think what was more disappointing for me more than anything, not, nece- not necessarily losing to LSU, but just the fact of how we lost, like you said. Um, you, you give up that one inning. I mean, it was two outs. Before we shifted, it was two outs. You get that out, you might have saved two or three runs from them. Um, that changes the entire trajectory of the rest of the game. Well, no, the inning's over. The inning would be over because Jonathan Brandon's out was second out of the inning, but then somebody else, I forget what it was. I think somebody popped up, but the inning would have been over. They would have not scored at all. It's three to two. It's three to two going into the top of, I think it was the sixth inning. They, They had that big inning. I think it was the top bottom of the fifth, was it? Yeah, so you're going in the top of the sixth with a three, two game instead of it being like, what, five to two or six to two? I mean, that changes things. Now you're still in the game. I mean, that's that's how close it's it's one pitch. That's how close the the trajectory of this game could have gone, right? That's what that it's it's moments like that where I look through this entire season and go, man, one pitch, one swing of a bat. It, it's amazing how those subtle instances, again, we you know, those subtle instances have that have added up to where we might be looking at a team that's 26 and 10 or 25 and 11 instead of 20 and 16. Um, that's, that's the frustrating thing. That was, that's what was frustrating about that game on, on Tuesday night, the little things. Um, and really we had opportunities in spite of being down eight to two, we made it eight to four. I mean, one freak out at first base where Thompson's foot left the bag and then landed back on the bag. That's two runs. We score right there. If they call him, if they call our guy safe, I forgot who was up at bat. That's two runs. Now it's eight to six, and you're in the game. Subtle moments like that has what's been so. It's like the the death by a thousand cuts, right? It's those little things that have really affected our season. And so, if we just do things right and and don't let those little things get to us and happen, we're talking about a totally different scenario here. And I just noticed those things in that LSU game that really stuck out. Now, again, I'm not upset that we lost to LSU. I'm more upset of how we lost to them. Because, again, I thought going into this game, this was a huge RPI boost for us or RPI, potential RPI boost for us. And it would have given us momentum going into this Georgia State game. Now we're kind of on the defensive where we kind of have – we're almost playing – it's almost like we have to play, uh, I guess, there's really a a, a no – no holds bar this weekend. Like we have to win this weekend. Have to. Well, I think every seat, every series at this point forward, we have to win. I mean, I think that's what, that's the position we've put ourselves in, but I'm going to change the subject. Cause I know we have to move forward, Josh looking on the stream, which it was nice to have a stream. Um, and we'll talk about that later, but watching on the stream and seeing the, the fan or lack of fans at the ballpark, um, that was a bit disappointing. I know when I've attended several Willie Pontiff classics in New Orleans, and it, it was a party, even at the box, it was a party, um, even when we host it. So 
tell me a little bit about the atmosphere because it sounded dead. It didn't sound like a whole lot was going on. I heard I, at times it sounded like it was a home game for us hearing some of our fans cheering. Well, first of first of all, we always travel well to the box, and I would guess we had shit. I would say we'd had eight hundred to a thousand people there, but well, maybe not that much because it was a diluted crowd. Maybe about six eight hundred people. Um, this may be different from years past, but I know this year's season ticket package for the Tigers did not include the Wally Pontiff, and I'm thinking because it wasn't at Zephyr, maybe that was a change. This was a standalone ticket game. So you had to go out and buy your ticket. So if you were a season ticket holder, you had your season tickets, and then you had to go get the Wally Pontiff ticket. So that might have impacted, but I think what I think they announced almost 7,000. So that was legit tickets sold. Um, but no, Nick, I mean, look, it's a great park. As much as I make fun of it, it's a great park. And they, they know how to put on a baseball game. It was packed. I mean... There was definitely buzz. There was definitely some back and forth, talking a little shit here and there. You know, everything that you've always gotten that experience when you go to the Alex Box or even Zephyr to a certain degree, it was still fun. I, I found that our side, you know, typically when you go and you sit on the home or the visitor side, it's all the player parents and then people that got their tickets early, and then you can sit right there next to the dugout. I didn't get a ton of energy out of the dugout. You know, when Connor hit his home run, they they exploded. But overall, I, I did I, I agree that it was a little bit subdued from our side of things because you know how our fans are. They're going to get loud, have a couple of drinks, maybe look at you and dance and taunt you a little bit. And there was some of that. Uh, but but again, remember that it's been in Zephyr. It's been at Zephyr for so long. And then obviously the the thing with the tickets. So that's a little bit of insight of of how that went down. Did it look? So obviously I didn't see the broadcast, but did it look bad on TV? Well, one of my buddies um, is an LSU fan and and we were talking about the game beforehand and he was like, man, don't expect a big crowd because our fans feel kind of the same way about baseball right now as your fans do. Like we're mirror images, kind of like you said, mirror images of each other. Um, but yeah, looking at, I expected a packed house um, because again, I've, I've attended games there, midweek games with them, even not part of the Pond of Classic and it was packed. So I was kind of surprised what you said, having that as an extra ticket makes sense. But I was just trying to understand he, his, his perspective of things was, yeah, apathy has set in on our end. And, you know, this is not the, the teams that we're used to. And I was just curious if, if that translated. Um, but good to hear that they had more than I thought just by looking at the stream. I was pissed walking in because I just don't like being there. I had to sit in traffic. I sat on the bridge for an hour and a half. I, I'm just, I hate going there. T-U-L-L-L-L-L-L on the scoreboard. If there would have been more Lafayette said, I think the guy would have choked on a swollen tongue. It was just ridiculous how many times. And, you know, they really shove it in there. They got to say Lafayette. Now, he did say Cajuns a couple times, and I think he got, like, you know, an elbow from his little broadcast partner there because he fixed it right after that. You know, back to UL Lafayette, freaking morons. But, anyway, last couple thoughts on LSU. You know, we're talking about how they're not necessarily a great team. They're 7-11 and against Q1. Uh, teams and they've kind of beaten up on the dregs a little bit so yeah that that kind of goes to what I see when I see them play I don't think that they're an elite baseball team I don't think I think that they're a skosh above average is what we'll call it that's what that's what I see from them they're four and one against Q2s and then they're 14 and zero against threes and fours so they're all right they're all right look I just want to say something about the name battle and I've said this before they can ULLLLS and Lafayette as much as they want inside their little bubble. 
we won the battle. All right. Look, they, they showed the game the other night on the SEC Plus Network or SEC Network Plus. We were Louisiana'd. Louisiana showed on the scoreboard. I did see that. Um, Somebody sent me a they, screenshot I mean, of that. It's at the point now where outside of that little group in Baton Rouge that complain about our name, everybody else has pretty much adopted the Louisiana brand. So they can scream it all they want inside their stadium. They can scream it all they want inside their campus. They can scream it all they want on their little social media pages and their fan forums. But it doesn't change the fact that the national brand that we have now is Louisiana. So, and they're going to continue to do it. They'll never adopt it as such. But you know what I say? Too bad. Well, they don't care about us, Jerry. So yeah, they don't bad. care about Look, us. Look, they got, it's like I've said before, and we've responded through our Twitter, um, our, our Twitter account to them. Worry about your school. You know, you have a lot of things you need to worry about with your school before you worry about what we call ourselves. So I, I'm not worried about that. If they want to call us Lafayette in their stadium, let them. I, I don't care. Uh, the, the, the battle's over. We won. Yeah. I, I won't, I won't go into a big diatribe about that. Uh, with the loss, we dropped three spots in the RPI. Cajuns sit at 55 right now with the nation's 18th most difficult schedule. Uh, we're going into uh, Georgia State at a very interesting time, in my opinion. Georgia State just got swept at home by Georgia Southern, who Jerry kind of chronicled earlier. Georgia State is a good program. I know Nick has some, some pitching stats that he'll get into, but their offense is actually what's kind of been the catalyst to their success. Now, we mentioned Q1 wins. Georgia State is actually four and ten as uh, as a, an opponent of a four one uh, a Q one team. They're six and zero oh against Q two schools, which is what we are currently. I don't love the insert point, if you will. Here we're coming off of an LSU game where we we just you know regardless of opponent, we didn't play well. And you know if you if you kind of lump the ULM Saturday game and the LSU game, two of our last three performances have been disappointing to say the least. I just I put it this way. I hope our kids understand that they may be a peer school, but this is big time college baseball right now. This is a conference uh, series that is gonna de- it's gonna decide somebody's series a uh, uh, season to a certain degree, and they just got besmacked at their place, and they're gonna be ready to play. What are you guys' overall impression about Georgia State, and do you agree that this is kind of a, a sticky spot for the Cajuns to go into? They scare me. Offensively, they're fan, they're a fantastic team. I mean, look, to Georgia Southern's uh, credit, uh, that third game, they came back down, I think, eight or nine runs or something like that. But it doesn't change the fact that Georgia State scored eight or nine runs. Um, that's concerning to me with our pitching staff. This is one of those weekends where pitching is going to have to pitch flawlessly. Uh, it's one of those weekends where our bats are going to have to come alive. It's one of those weekends where when we get base runners, you got to score them. You can't load bases and only get maybe one run, especially if it's less than two outs. They, they're scrappy, and they got some power. They got some power to their swing. So uh, th- th- this, is a scary, this is a scary team. Um, this isn't the Georgia State that we're used to, where we kind of go on cruise control and win the series. We're going to have to play our best this weekend. I mean, this could be another... I don't want to sound too too um, pessimistic, but this could be another situation where, like we did, like we had when we went to Troy. I'm not saying that I don't think we're going to get swept, but if we don't mind our P's and Q's, that they they could easily take the series um, without any issues. Oh yeah, at home. Jerry, real quick. Since April first, in consecutive weeks or weekends, they swept South Al at home. They went to Conway. 
and swept, swept Coastal, a very solid team. They're not great, but yep. they're solid. Then, yep. then they went to Atlanta and beat Georgia Tech, RPI number five baseball team in the country. That, you know, the Georgia Southern, uh, the sweep is very impressive to me. But, you know, then they come back and beat Kennesaw State, another really good team, RPI 21. They did that uh, yesterday or Tuesday. I don't. I look at the series against Georgia Southern and they got swept. And I, I kind of look at it like this. They blew that last game. They should have won that last game. So let's say they win that last game. And let's say they lose the series two out of three. I, I don't think, I still think that they're still just as, as much of a dangerous team in spite of getting swept by Georgia Southern. Look, Georgia Southern, that, that sweep got them into the top 25. So I look at that as a fluke series to me for Georgia State. I think they should have won that last game in spite of, you know, even if they would have lost the series, they still would have stolen, not stolen a game, but earned that win. Um, So I know people see that they got swept by Georgia Southern, but I'm not, I'm not letting that charade fool me. This is a very dangerous team. Again, this is not your daddy's Georgia State baseball program. They're really, really good. They hit the ball well. They play good defense. They have good pitching. You've seen some of the wins they've had. I mean, it's not easy to go to Coastal and sweep them there. It's not easy to sweep South Al in any stretch in baseball. So, I I mean, we have to – we're going to have to play a level higher than we've played these past few games to to have a shot at taking the series. So I'm not going to be as dramatic as you are, Jerry, and and my uh, my love for Georgia State. <laughs> I'm not sold on them quite yet. I think they've made a really good run against some really good teams, but I also look at the fact that they lost two out of three at ULM, um, and they you know um, have some that they they have. Look, there's no denying they can hit the ball, they can smash the ball. They've also played Presbyterian and Villanova and some school called Purdue Fort Wayne earlier in the season. So um, I'm going to temper my expectations on how good they can hit the ball um, and sustain it through conference play. Cause I think, I, I don't know if, if the last three weekends or four weekends before Georgia Southern were a fluke or was that their real team? So Again, uh, we cannot we cannot let up by any means. We can't go out there and balk and walk and hit a pit, uh, you know, a batter, and then allow a four run inning. Um, but on the other hand, there's no reason why we can't take two out of three from this team if we play like you and I know we, they can play and execute um, and not make silly decisions. Then I think we have a good chance of really making our mark. Again, we said this. It seems like every weekend we're saying, man, if we can really make our mark on this season, this is the this is the weekend that if we win two out of three, we can do it. And here we go again. Um, but it's so critical for us to get this series just because, again, RPI reasons, seeding in the tournament, and really maybe finally getting over the hump. I don't know. I don't know. If, if we're going to do it, it, now would be a good chance to do it. Um, but again, mad respect for Georgia State. Have some great wins. Have some questionable losses but in the end we got to go to their place we got to play really solid baseball not make any mistakes and if we do that i think we can win two out of three fingers crossed we'll see i'll take it a step further and say if we can go to georgia state and win two out of three it would probably be the biggest accomplishment of the season to date because of where the series falls because of the circumstantial situations around both teams because of the fact that we have not been a good team on the road, 
I, I think that the implications of this series, uh, if you're able to walk out of there with, with two out of three, that, that's, that's huge. That's, that's very impressive to me if that can happen. So uh, I'll leave it there. We'll give a league update because we've been doing that, and I think it's important. Uh, Texas State, 29-9 and overall, and they have the RPI of 53, which is a little bit higher than I would have ex- expected. They've had a couple of losses that were eye scratch or uh, head scratchers over the last couple of weeks. Still solid. They're still a very good team. I'm not looking forward to going to San Marcos from a, from a uh, uh, confidence standpoint, but I am very much looking forward to it uh, for some good competition. Georgia Southern, as we've been talking about, they're red hot right now, 7-3 and three in their last 10. They've got six wins over Q1 schools, and their RPI right now is 13. Unbelievable. Georgia State, as we've mentioned, RPI 36. They're 7-3 and three in their last. They've got some really nice wins lately, including Georgia Tech and Kennesaw State, as we've mentioned. They've just played a very, very good schedule top to bottom. Uh, other than what Nick called Purdue-Fort Wayne, with all due respect to them, uh, you know, I'm sure they have a great program. Troy still in the, the uh, RPI top 100 at 81. They're playing okay baseball. They kind of rebounded after a, a very odd slump that they went into about two weeks worth, maybe a month ago. Very strange. Uh, South Al, who South Al and Georgia Southern are playing this weekend's most intriguing series outside of Louisiana and Georgia State for me. That's going to be one hell of a good series. I'm going to be paying attention to that. Uh, South Al is 52 in the RPI. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. They're playing better baseball as of late. The Cajuns still broke them for me. Uh, they have been a totally different team since they came to the tee. Coastal Carolina is still hanging around at 64 in the RPI. They're playing okay ball. I think that they'll, they will be more of an issue in the conference tournament because they play great tournament ball. I never count them out. They're a good team. And then everybody else is pretty much the dregs of college baseball. You got Little Rock at 211, ULM 141. UTA bringing up the caboose at 231. App State 149 in a very disappointing season for, for the Apps. Uh, I expected them to be much better. You know, second year of their new coach, and I thought that uh, I thought they made a good hire, but something's just not right over there. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Arkansas State, uh, not the last place RPI team in the conference anymore at 230. So there's that. That's your, that's your league update as far as rankings and RPI go. I think that we're in a good spot to go to Georgia Southern as far as the pitching staff outside of Tally is ready to rock and roll. I think that we're due to hit some baseballs around the park. I'm just nervous about where, I mean, in this season it's important. We're not great on the road, and Georgia Southern uh, just beat the piss out of Georgia State at home. Very worrisome. The last and most fun topic that we have in segment one is something that I know Nick's been harping are ready to harp on, and he's correct, and he's probably the most qualified to talk about this because he lives further than Jerry and I from the Teague, so he has to kind of rely on, you know, coverage of whether it be streaming, radio, live stats, whatever. But there's been a pretty healthy debate on the boards and, and on the social media platforms about why the Cajuns are not able to stream their baseball games uh, you know, all the home games. You know, we, we should expect that out of a big-time program, and we fancy ourselves as the Raging Cajun Baseball program, a big-time program. We're a top-30 program. We have been for a long time. Nick, what is your biggest frustration with that? Uh, we can talk specifics as we go along in the conversation, but how frustrated are you on a scale from 1 to 10 with the fact that you can't watch your baseball games? 
about a 37. It drives me nuts, man. And look, I love Jay. And every time we stream a game, I'm putting the the stream down and Jay up because I love Jay. I love Top. I love hearing their commentary. But it's so frustrating as a fan who lives outside of the area who can't go to a game every weekend or hell, I can go to a game maybe once or twice a season and, and to sit here and, and, you know, listen to a game on the radio and try to make things up in my head while I'm watching four other teams that are in our conference, like UALR is streaming their baseball games while we're on the radio. That drives me crazy. Um, so yeah, it's frustrating and I hate it. And I, I have my reasons why I think they do it. Um, one, I think it's money. You know, I think that's the main factor. I think the budget is what it is. And I think when you have title nine involved, you've got to give equal coverage to both softball and baseball. So you're splitting that pot between two, two of the programs. Um, and I think Cox sports television really filled that gap over the past couple of seasons when Cox was around because they broadcast some of their games. So yeah, maybe you had a couple of, of um, weekend games and then maybe the Sunday game wasn't broadcast and then you had a Tuesday game that was on Cox. So so it helps kind of bridge that gap between between our cost for streaming and Cox paying the bill for their streaming. But I we need to fix it. I mean, you, I, I went to the game and every time there's a foul ball, there's a damn sponsor in my ear. And every time they, it's a Chico, whatever bail bond, stolen base or whatever the, the, you know, the sponsor is for the, for the stolen bases. So like there's something going on through the entire game where somebody's sponsoring something, get sponsors to sponsor some of these streams and make it happen for every game. There is a need for it. There's a want for it. I'm assuming. And look, I don't know ratings. I don't care about ratings. I'm, I care about me. I want to see every game on the stream and I'm sure our recruits also want to watch every game on the stream. It ain't just about me. It's about other fans. It's about recruits. It's about their parents who can't come watch games. So it's frustrating. It can be fixed. It needs to be fixed. And like you alluded to, if we want to be a big time program, then we got to start acting like a big time program. So we need to get that funded. However it takes, you know, I wanted to make a comment about that this past weekend. Cause I'm one of those fans that, you know, I had obligations to go out of town. I had other obligations that I had to where I couldn't be at the Teague over the weekend. And being in New Orleans um, Friday and Saturday, you know, I was at my in-laws and, you know, our, we had a family gathering and we were eating crawfish and whatnot on Good Friday. But, you know, I would have loved to be able to watch the game on TV. I would have loved to been able to see what was going on on a TV screen, right? But, you know, and luckily for me, I was able to listen to Jay and Top and I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's great. But if I look at other schools that maybe not, might not have the budget we have, uh, even conferences that aren't the Sunbelt, the Southland and other conferences below us to where they can stream all their games, you know, to fan bases that probably don't care as much as we do. And yet they still can afford to watch those games and stream those games. There's no reason why we can't do the same thing. Um, you know, one of the examples that I have, and, and this isn't a knock on any other sport, but um, the night, the Friday game against Southern Miss, there was no stream. And I couldn't go. I had other things I had to do. I had other obligations. I could not make that Friday night Southern Miss game. Well, come to find out, um, we had streamed the softball game, I think a few hours before against central Connecticut state. 
Meanwhile, Southern Miss comes to town and we can't stream the Friday night game that I unfortunately cannot attend. Well, no knock on softball. And before I'm going to give a disclaimer, this is nothing against them streaming the softball game. But in a scenario like that, where you have Southern Miss, who is now ranked number six in the country, by the way, come to the Teague to where not everybody can go, you, you have to stream that game. Whereas softball is playing Central, Central Connecticut State, who might I add, I think was 0-12 at the time and is now 6-34. and Well, which has the higher demand there? And I'm not saying don't televise softball by no means because I watch a lot of the stream softball games that I can't make. But in a scenario like that, you have to stream the baseball game. When you have Southern Miss, who's a top 25 team, come to your house, you got to stream it. And I'm not saying, and I know it's easy to say, well, get your behind to the stadium, but not all of us can go, not all of us can make it all the time. So in a scenario like that, that's where my concern comes in because you're streaming a game against a team that's six and 34 compared to a team that's ranked six in the country. Where, who, who has the higher demand there? Who has the higher demand there? Right. So that's where my preference comes in. Also, why do we have to choose? You have a, a perennial top 20 program in softball. I guarantee you those ticket packages are probably in the top 20 of, of highest cost around the country. Are you telling me you can't bake in some streaming cost in there? Are you telling me that those 2,200 people that buy season tickets wouldn't consider paying a, a couple, maybe $10, $15 more? Is it an option? Could you go to them and maybe get a vote on that? Could you get some well, feedback of any kind? And I would say the same thing for baseball. you got a perennial top 40 program. There's a great debate on the board right now about is it, if it's going to cost me thirty dollars extra a season ticket to get to make sure and, and guarantee that all of the games are streamed when I'm not able to make it to the Teague, I guarantee you eight out of ten people will say yeah sure tack on thirty bucks I want to be able to watch the games. And another thing too to add to that um, the Saturday game against ULM, they showed Max Marshak's you know Sports Center top ten catch out in the outfield and. That's why I tweeted through the the Rage and Review Twitter is, wait a second, how were they able to stream that through ESPN Plus, but yet it's not in the package? Well, come to find out, there were some student, I think student interns, I believe we were told, that, that were able to stream the game inside the stadium. Why not just put that on the TV? Because my reaction is this. This is how I look at it. I've streamed the Magnese game when we went to Lake Charles. I've streamed, I mean, CUSA TV, right? Louisiana Tech. And those streams were... I'm going to be generous. They weren't, they weren't quite up to par with the way we stream our games. They, they were, were brutal. Look, look, and so my, my point is this. Look at Little Rock. Little Rock, they had student people doing that last year, and the, the broadcast was horrible. You know what I did? I sat for two and a half hours and watched the damn game. Well, that's, that's what I was going to get at. Why not just settle for that? If it's about quality, at least we still get to watch the game compared to these other schools that literally put a camera in the press box Half the time they can't even it can't even follow where the ball is going when it's in play, and they got a bunch of interns doing play by play. I would take our in stadium stream on ESPN Plus over that any day. And, and on top of that, we have to pay a premium to watch it. So I'll take that as part of the package deal over what we have seen with other schools in order for us to see the game. I mean, McNeese, they basically I don't even know if they have I don't. I think last year they didn't even have a play-by-play guy. I think they used the PA announcer, if I'm not mistaken, and just put a cat. No, it was Nichols. I think it was Nichols that had, yeah, Nichols this year in order to watch the game. And luckily, look, they streamed it for free, and it's on YouTube. I give them credit for that. But all they did was put a camera in the press box and let the PA guy do the, do the game. 
And the only way you knew what was going on was by the PA guy. So how was, why, why not be able to do what we did on Saturday, even though we have the in-stadium stream, just put it on the plus. Just put it on the plus and make it part of the package deal. It's not all. It's not always about the quality in a situation like that. Now, don't get me wrong. I want good quality, but that's a lot better than what we see in other schools and other ways we've streamed through other 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 channels and other places, right? No question. But what what bothers me the most is we have people asking legitimate questions about why we can't watch our baseball team, and we got nothing. We got crickets from Martin Hall. We got crickets from Reinhardt. We got crickets from the complex. Somebody needs to get out again. We have been pissing the bed with this messaging stuff. You see people asking the questions. How hard would it be, would it be to send out an email and explain, here's the thing. We had some interns or some students doing this broadcast, and we had stationary cameras and whatever the excuse is, right? If it, was it cost prohibitive? Okay. Why don't you get some feedback from the fan base? Ask them if they would be okay with a little bit, you know, maybe an additional whatever uh, as far as a donation or a, a ticket charge for for season tickets. I'd pay it. It's 30 bucks. It's worth it to me to know that I can come home and watch the game if my kids are sick or if we have a prior engagement or something. My, my issue is the communication with the fan base. If it's cost prohibitive, tell us that. If it is operational, tell us that. If it's logistic, tell us that. Don't be mum on the issue when you know you have a rabid softball fan, fan base. You know you have a, a rabid baseball fan base. You got to tell somebody something. You got to get out in front of the messaging. You know, when when this administration kind of came in, that sounded kind of political. When Brian Maggard kind of took over, there was a lot of a lot of accountability and a public accountability and and transparency, a word that people have have kind of just taken for granted these last few years, but it doesn't feel like that anymore. And I'm not going to turn this into a Brian Maggard rant, but Questions that we used to regularly get answers to, it seems like there's not that much communication anymore. And I think that this broadcasting thing is at the top of the mountain right now. Well, again, I'm sorry, Jerry, but I just wanted to say, I think we're missing just opportunities um, across the board with this because let's be real. You see it with football. There are very few teams that can fill a football stadium anymore. Baseball, I don't think we're going to fill it unless we have a top 20 team that's in and we're in top 20 or we're in the regionals. I don't think that's going to happen because streaming is what people do. The, the, The young people these days, they use their phone and they stream it wherever they are while they're watching a game. And, and we're missing that opportunity for people to be engaged with our program who don't live in the city, do live in the city, because I got to tell you, they're they're going to go to the game whether or not it's streaming. If they want to be at the game, they're going to go. They're not going to not go just because they can watch it on their phone. So we're missing opportunities there, and I think that's the upfront cost now to pay for the stream might be there, but the cost down the road is the real cost that you're losing out on uh, a new fan base, you know, coming through digitally from somewhere that you're not expecting it. Or even your I'm glad you said in your, that in your area. I'm glad you said that, Nick, because really what you're saying, it's all about exposure. If you 100%. look at, I mean, look, let's let's go back to 50 years ago. Now, granted, streaming and TV and all of that media outlet has completely changed over the past 50 or 60 years. But when you talk to people that are Braves fans in town or Astros fans or, or Chicago, you're a Chicago Cubs fan, Josh. Why? Let me ask you this. Why are you a Cubs fan? Well, you see, on Sundays, we used to go visit my great-grandmother, and she caught maybe two and a half stations, and one of them were, was WGN. So I started okay. watching the Cubs when I was about four years old. My point, why are people Braves fans around here? 
drives me nuts, but because it was on TBS. TBS, yeah. Exactly. So that, that's my point. And, and I'm not saying to put the Cajuns on cable television. What I'm saying is that exposure and the opportunity to watch those teams created fandoms and people from years ago that have stuck by today. And what, like you said, if you're able to get that opportunity with streaming with a Cajuns game, you might get a few extra hundred fans that become diehards because of that opportunity to see those teams or see our teams on, on through the, through the ESPN plus app or any type of streaming service. So that's also the exposure is what's important. And so I think like for me, for example, I have a three month old. I can't make every Cajuns game like I was able to. Now, granted, as she gets older, I'll have more opportunities because she'll gain a little bit more independence and things like that. But I can't go to every Cajuns game right now. I have other obligations. But you know what, what I would like to do is be at home if I'm bottle feeding her or catering to her. I would like to be able to watch the game on TV. And so there's many other people like me and there's many other people like even friends that I've talked to who are alumni in Houston, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, they say the same thing. I want to be able to watch the game. I can't travel to Lafayette. You're a prime example, Nick. You live in Houston. Not everybody can drive the three to four hours to Lafayette and catch every game. So that opportunity to watch it through the streaming network, like you said, Josh, ask around. Say, hey, look, are you willing to pay a little bit more to be able to get all our games on the stream? And I guarantee you a lot of people would say yes. But like you said, that has to be communicated. That has to be communicated because I think that is a golden opportunity right there that's being missed. Well, there needs to be initiative and there is no initiative because I guarantee you, even if you made it a paid platform separate from ESPN plus and said the raging Cajun sports network, you pay three 99 a month. I will pay that in addition to my ESPN plus just to watch the games. People will pay. Somebody just needs to ask if that's what the case is and there's no initiative. And I think capitalizing on us being ranked in football I think we're missing that opportunity now because again, like you said, Jerry, we have more eyes on our program now because of the, the football program being so successful. We're not taking advantage of that and we need to take advantage of that. I like Nick's point about think about the recruits out there that are interested are, are flipping through ESPN plus or whatever it may be. And they see our program and they see the environment and they see what we do when we put on a ball game at the Teague. That's important. Think about high school coaches that are shopping around their players. That's important, too. So you never miss an opportunity to get your brand out there. It, I, I, it's not that hard. This is, this is my issue with a lot of things that go on in the, at the complex and at the administrator level is a lot of this shit is just not hard. Somebody try. Somebody care. Somebody. Or, you know, just give us the contract. We'll do it. You Rage, know, one time Rage I, review platform takeover, baby. Oh, that would be dangerous. <laughs> one time, yeah. one time, I talked to uh, someone who had worked for the university. They go raise. They've raised money in the past, and um, and and you know, one time when they went and got a donation, uh, he had asked them, well, "Why didn't you donate before?" And you know what? The, the I think it was a business, a local business. And you know what their response was? You didn't ask. Nobody. Nobody asked. asked. Nobody asked. And so it's just, just ask. Look, if people say no, they say no. If the fans say, you know what, I don't like that idea, at least you have an answer. At least you get something. No doubt. All right, big shout out to the streaking Cajun softball team. Won their last nine, two conference series sweeps in a row. Just knocked out uh, Illinois, number 25 in the country, four to two in eight innings. Really good performance against Indiana right after that, winning 11 to two in a mercy game. Shout out to women's tennis, still alive in the conference tournament. If you guys are into that kind of thing, go check them out. They're going to be playing today. Unfortunately, the men 
had their season cut short uh, with a loss in the conference tourney. I think it was to UTA. Anyway, guys, stay tuned. We have Jackie Russo of Brand Russo to come and educate us on NIL, the Ultra program that was just announced, and uh, some other good nuggets that you'd be interested in. Stick around. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. All right, guys, we promised some NIL information, and we always deliver. So today we're going to bring in Jackie Russo of Brand Russo. Her company has become quite a staple in Lafayette over the, I don't know, how long have you been in business, Jackie? 10, 12, 15 years? I don't know. 21 years. 21 years. Wow, wow, wow. I know. That's incredible. so old. Congratulations on your success. We're going to pick your brain a little bit about the Ultra program this morning. First of all, for those of us that may not know or be familiar with your ties to the university and your family, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, talk about your company a bit, and maybe your your relationship uh, past and present with the university. Sure. So Jackie Russo, uh, co-founder and CEO of Brand Russo, uh, which Michael Russo and I started in February of 2001. It is hard to believe that we are old enough to have a company that's legally able to drink. And um, ties to the university. So I was a student there. Michael was a student there. Um, I have, we have two daughters who are students there currently, and they are fourth-generation students. So our ties go back ways. So I guess the origins of the ULTRA program, and ULTRA stands for University Lucrative Training Resources Advantage. ULTRA. Which nice. I, yeah, I thought that was pretty good, pretty uh, creative and clever. When everything started, was it something that the university approached you guys? Is it something that, you know, I know that you have plenty of connections, uh, personal and professional to the university. How exactly did that get off the ground? And, you know, maybe just give us a little bit of background on the, the beginnings of Ultra. Sure. So when the NCAA announced uh, that they were going to allow student athletes to have control 
and make money from their name, image, and likeness, NIL, uh, which was back in July of 2021, Dr. Maggard and I had a couple of conversations about the landscape, what that was going to look like. And I think he wisely took a wait and see approach. You know, it really became the Wild West very quickly. And as a group of five school, um, even though we're one of the best in our division in the Sun Belt and really, I think, in the country, um, we don't have the big deep pockets that some of the Power Five SEC schools have. And so he took a wait and see approach. And then they contacted me in January. So after about six months of seeing how it was all going to shake out and said, listen, um, we really want to do something. We see where our opportunities are. And uh, the university can't, at this time, represent athletes. That's a state law on the books. SB 60 uh, could fix that. But for right now, there has to be an outside third party to come in and represent the students. They said, what does this look like? And so when I started doing the research and my team started looking at best practices and what the other universities around the country who have been successful with their NIL programs, we realized it can't just be student athletes making money. I mean, that may be the ultimate goal, but that can't be the whole story. Um, we're a university. And so university means we have to start with education. And in seeing a number of uh, student athletes who got themselves into a little bit of trouble, made quite a bit of money, maybe didn't either weren't ever told or didn't completely grasp the concept of how the task tax situation works, didn't pay their taxes, found themselves in some hot water with the IRS. We didn't want that to happen. So University, you and Ultra, that's where we started. So we gathered subject matter experts who are going to be teaching our 400 plus student athletes the things they need to know to be business people because they're all going to go pro in something after college. You mentioned research and starting to gather professionals and information. How far back does that process go? When did you start really digging into this program that ultimately became Ultra and has that process been painstaking? Has it been, you know, kind of figuring out as you go? It's been a little bit of both. Um, so there's always, I think, room for adaptation, improvement, pivot. Uh, no plan is perfect when it's designed. It becomes uh, perfected through implementation. And so we did a lot of research at the beginning because although I worked at Creative Artists Agency, that was my first job out of college. So I understand the agent world. That's not what I am. I'm a marketer. I'm a brander. And so I had to put that hat back on and think, okay, I don't want to be an agent and our student athletes can't be represented by agents or that ruins their eligibility. So they have to be represented by marketers. How do we think like marketers and how do we um, utilize the incredible resources of our community? Uh, there are so many subject matter experts in Acadiana that we're, I mean, we've been lucky. Everybody we've talked to has said, absolutely. We are willing to dedicate our time and uh, talents and come in and help educate these student athletes and give them the information that they need. So we've been lining up the courses now and it'll start. Uh, we've got to let them get through spring break, dead week, exams, and then we can get started with the lessons. Jackie, uh, Jerry here. Let's, um, let's talk about the, uh, the components of Ultra. Um, sure. They include education, relationships, brand management, and they all include, and they all equal opportunity. Um, those components, how does it work? And is it on-demand advice for players looking to tackle a specific opportunity? Uh, is it broad training sessions that coach large groups? Kind of, kind of break down the implementation of how this entire process works with the student-athletes. 
Sure. It's going to be all of those things. And so they're going to be, um, as you explained, a kind of broad sessions. Um, we will bring in a subject matter expert, let's say personal financial literacy. Uh, we've been fortunate that the junior achievement is allowing us to license their world renowned uh, personal financial literacy program. And so it's about budgeting. It's about saving. It's about investing. Um, it's things that I didn't know in college credit score. I mean, is that like an SAT score? Like, how's that work? And so <laughs> right. what it is and why it's important. I don't think, especially with rising inflation and interest rates, I don't think people really appreciate the cost of one percentage point in a loan and the way to lower your interest if you have a really high credit score and then how to get a really high credit score and how to keep a really high credit score. So imagine how valuable that is at 18, 19, 20, 21, so that when you do decide I'm done renting, I'm going to go buy a house. Now you're properly equipped with the knowledge um, to do that. So that knowledge comes in, um, you know, from a mortgage lender, from the junior achievement program, from bankers, there will be broad uh, general education sessions. Then for the student athlete who maybe can't attend that session, these guys and girls are busy all day long. Uh, we are providing online on demand learning. Um, so there'll be an entire course load so they can watch on an away trip on the bus. Um, they can do their coursework and their worksheets uh, right then and there. So I think that's going to be great for them. And then they'll be partnered up. And so um, I've got a student athlete, for example, who's already contacted me um, and wants to be in real estate. He already knows what he wants to do when he's finished with school and finished playing. And so he is going to have the opportunity to get a head start on his career right now because he'll have the chance to meet great real estate agents and brokers in our town, meet lenders, meet appraisers, put his network together, understand um, buyers and sellers. He's going to be able to shave off years of the early struggling part of his career and kind of start at second base, even though he's a football player. Yeah, Jackie, I, I first want to just say I'm excited that that, uh, Dr. Maggard was strategic in partnering with you because I think it's important that a UL business supporter, supporter of, of UL, the business, um, as you said, you're uh, earlier, your family all tied to, to UL and, and graduating and going to school there. So I thought that was very important. So tie that in, I guess, to Acadiana businesses, what role do they play in ultra when you look at, at the businesses that are interested in participating in NIL, are you connecting them with, with the players? Are they reaching out to the players? How, how does that all work? So there's two ways that businesses are getting involved. Uh, one is by being subject matter experts and being um, available to provide their knowledge and their expertise to our student athletes. And so they've all been very generous and really just great about it. So I'm, I'm excited about the lineup. There are a couple of classes that I can't wait to attend because even at 52, there's some stuff I don't know, and I'm looking forward to learning it. Uh, then secondly, the, um, and they, these two things aren't mutually exclusive or connected. Some people are just subject matter experts. Some companies are just getting involved in NIL and some are doing both. It's completely up to the business. So if they want to get involved in the NIL side, then we will do some matchmaking. Um, how do they want to use the student athletes? Is it that they want to leverage the student athletes social media power? We've got some student athletes who have a lot of engagement, large following base, so do you want them to basically serve as an influencer for your business? Excellent. Maybe you want them to actually be in your marketing materials. Um, a business that currently runs ads 
during the uh, broadcast of football, basketball, baseball, softball, what better way than to have some of those players actually being the voice for your company during the sport that they play? I mean, what an awesome opportunity to bring it all full circle. And then perhaps um, you don't need that. The business isn't a retailer, um, doesn't really sell to the public, uh, doesn't really need that kind of connection to the community, but wants to support a student athlete in some way. Fantastic. Let's talk about maybe a community service or team building project that your company is doing, and we can bring in those student athletes for that. So we serve as idea generators, matchmakers, and trainers. I mean, think about a student athlete that has been participating in their sport since they were, what, third grade? They haven't had the opportunity to interview for jobs, to work part-time in a lot of cases. And so we will be working to help prep them for those opportunities so they can show up on set, on location, uh, ready to go. Uh, That way it can be successful for the business, the student athlete, and the university. Is this a program that is going to be, or is it already, is it funded via donor donor dollars? Is it something that the school dumps money into? And, well, and <laughs> if, if it is, if it is private dollars, do, can can someone like me or or, or Nick or Jerry um, participate in donating to this? Here's the awesome thing. Um, so two sides to the program, right? The education side is completely donated. Um, I'm donating my time. The subject matter experts are donating their time. There's no expense to the university whatsoever. We believe in making sure that our university rises above the rest. And we know that providing a program like this that can be used for recruitment and retention gives us the edge over other um, schools. And so we're all loyal fans and we want to see that happen. On the NIL side, if someone has an affinity for softball, Mayor, softball season ticket holders love softball, go to the games, and they want to support softball players. Absolutely, there's a way we can do that. Uh, we can do that if you don't have a business to promote. But think about y'all. Don't you want to have a bunch of UL athletes out there tweeting and uh, Facebooking and Instagramming about your podcast? Um, now, look, hum- humble brag here. We, we kind of have that already, but yes, well, you go on. Do, yeah, um, <laughs> you, you very much do. Um, and so there would be a way. We have talked about a second phase after this is established and up and running, and it's, it's moving along quite nicely. If there are people, like I said, who don't have the need for the social media postings, don't have a need for the traditional marketing, don't own a business where that makes sense, we are looking at creating a collective And so this will be an opportunity for anybody to help step up and support those student athletes. Uh, But we're trying not to get spread too thin and go in too many different directions. So we're going to stay in our lane. We're going to get this all built up the right way. And that'll be the next phase that we move into. So Jackie, I know that compliance is a big factor in college athletics. I was involved with the athletic department for many years, so I know everything revolves around compliance. Can you talk about maybe some training or some guidance you've gotten from the university on the compliance aspect of NIL? Absolutely. Um, You know, making sure that we are both Title IX compliant, NCAA compliant, NIL compliant is top of the list. So I have had the um, distinct pleasure to spend quite a bit of time with my new best friend, Tom Burke, who is making sure that I don't 
do anything uh, off the cuff, willy nilly, and get in myself, a student athlete, or the university into trouble. So everything that we do is going to pass through a committee uh, that the university has put together to make sure that we don't hurt anyone's eligibility or standing. So it's going to be um, every step of the way monitored and measured uh, because we want to make sure we don't cause any problems. This is about creating opportunity. Uh, I'm also curious of, excuse me, when we were, or when you guys were kind of implementing your processes, did you guys have like mock classes, you know, like a soft opening, a soft opening? Did you do things like that in order to kind of gauge what exactly would work well for, you know, athletes or student athletes or different sports or how did that go? Well, you know, we did a couple of things. Uh, First of all, being the mom of four uh, students who have had athletic opportunities at times, they're by no means, I mean, other than our son who plays college baseball, the other three, um, they were pretty good for high school and that's about as far as they went with their athletic prowess. But what I have gotten to know is the things they don't know about the world, about business, um, about taxes. And so unlike at the Russo home where we've always had a summer reading club and it sounds just as much fun as it is, um, that my (laughs) kids were just adamantly opposed to, but I think we're the better for. And so having them read Stephen Covey, the four agreements, um, rich dad, poor dad, you know, these things that I think are great life lessons, I figured out pretty quickly what they know and don't know. And so we put together a curriculum based on that. And then during the um, evolution of Ultra, before it became public, I had the opportunity to go and meet with every team in every sport and present our plan to the student athletes and got amazing feedback from them on the things they want to learn, the things that um, I hadn't necessarily thought of that they wanted to add to the curriculum specific subject matter expert areas that they wanted to make sure were included. And it's been interesting to me. I will tell you, I think our coaches deserve a lot of credit for the um, caliber of student athlete that they recruit to our university. Most of them, when um, they had to fill out a form to express their interest in the classes and then in participating in the NIL side, two a one they have all expressed interest in the classes. They have all provided feedback on what they want to learn. Um, A lot of them also want NIL opportunities. A few of them really need the NIL opportunities um, because financially um, it's challenged for them. You know, when asked what they want to make, um, I I need gas cards. I need to make a couple hundred dollars to pay my car insurance. I need, you know, we're not talking about um, student athletes that are saying I deserve a million dollars. We're talking about student athletes that are asking for hundreds, thousands of dollars um, and the opportunity to earn that money. And I think that's been very important. Um, So when it comes to the curriculum, though, I got great feedback from them. And so we've been able to shape this curriculum around what we think they need and what they want. So prior to Ultra and and prior to your involvement, did you work with anybody uh, before that, any, any student athlete before that? And if you did, what was that experience like? Well, we've had an internship program at the universe, at the um, agency for years. And so a number of student athletes have um, come through and um, whether they were actually just students at the university or student athletes, when we went uh, virtual in 2020, uh, we ended up with probably increasing our internship numbers by almost 400% uh, 
because so many businesses closed the door on obviously having people in the building at all and managing the interns were the last thing that they cared about. But we looked at a lot of uh, juniors and seniors who needed internship credit to graduate and were about to be in a pickle. And so we expanded our internship program to be virtual. So I've had the chance for 21 years now to get to know college students and get to talk to them and uh, their feedback in understanding the questions that they ask on a regular basis. It gave us a really good sense of of what they needed and what they wanted. Um, You know, it's been a lot of fun uh, to work with the student athletes during their internships because they are so driven. They are so dedicated. uh, They are so committed to the team and to the work. Um, It's admirable. And so I'm incredibly impressed that when I look at their schedules in season, you know, from 5 a.m. to midnight pretty much every day, and then the workload that they carry off season, um, our student athletes deserve uh, a lot of recognition for the work they put in and for what they do for our community. And so I'm excited to have this uh, opportunity to give back to them and help them get a leg up. Jackie, um, I'm going to kind of relate this to football as an example for this next question. Uh, this last two years have pretty much been the best two seasons we've had in our in our history of our football program. Um, you know, top 25 rankings, um, you know, conference tra- first outright conference championship in over 50 years, two bowl wins. Um, but uh, with NIL, a few people I've talked to. Uh, a lot of people are as excited as they have been with the success of football, and, and, and this goes for other sports as well. One of the downsides of it is with NIL, that could give, um, you know, there's a little bit of discouragement because that can give those bigger schools a competitive advantage of getting athletes that we otherwise would get. Um, you know, you're seeing with the way the transfer portal is and with all of those factors playing in, um, that that's a little discouraging as a fan to see it being a mid-major with ultra in an ideal world. What is ultra capable of doing to combat that for our programs uh, against the, the, the bigger schools like the USC's and the UCLA's and the Texas A&M's of the world. And how does it give us an edge in modern day recruiting as a mid-major to, to bring in those top tier student athletes and kind of, like I said, combat uh, everything that the NIL, um, process and the transfer portal has created in college athletics today? Um, I think it's a great question. And uh, to be clear, I hate NIL. I hate the potential for what it has uh, to hurt college sports and amateur sports. I don't think pros should be allowed in the Olympics. I feel like we need to keep amateur sports pure. That said, as long as we keep roster limits where they are, those um, power five schools can't recruit any more athletes than they ever could before. And all we're doing now is saying those bags of cash that y'all used to drop off on the door. Now you have a legal method to register it. So we know exactly how much money they've been given out the whole time because now it's recorded. That said, I think that by having one of the best programs, not just in the group of five or the power five in the country, ultra has the potential to put UL in a higher bracket just like Dr. Maggard has been able to do sport by sport across our university. Now we get to do it in the education and in the opportunity space. Here's the interesting thing to me. Uh, Coach Robichaud used to say that he would take a three-star with heart over a five-star with ego every day. I feel like the student-athletes that our coaches recruit are exactly the kind of people who understand how to take advantage of the ultra opportunity 
from education and NIL standpoint. And all we're doing is really putting our school on the map to make sure that those three stars with heart, as uh, Tony used to say, know where to go to get the best chance for the success they're going to have after college. Jackie Russo has been our guest. Uh, This has been fantastic information. I feel like I've learned a ton here. Uh, Talk to us about what's going on outside of Ultra with Brian Russo and anything you'd like to add. Sure. I mean, you know, the the branding agency is uh, where I spend the majority of my time and and my passion and my energy. Um, And I'm fortunate that we are in a position where uh, I'm able to go do these other things um, because this is also my passion as well. Uh, the agency itself has been around since you know February of 2001. Um, we have grown to, I think, 24 employees right now. Uh, we own a building in downtown Lafayette, uh, which is our headquarters, but our employees pretty much work from anywhere. Uh, we've always had a very flexible um, work from where you are schedule. Uh, our clients are around the country. Uh, we have clients in 300 markets across the U.S., and four countries um, outside of the United States. And um, our main um, area of expertise is branding. And so we developed a process uh, called Razor Branding. Michael and I actually wrote a book uh, called He Said, She Said Branding that came out last year. And it sort of details that process. And that's what we do for clients. Um, It's an awesome opportunity to get to work with companies across the country and help them grow. Um, It's what we do. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. He said, she said branding. It's on Amazon. It's at Beausoleil Books downtown. And uh, if you're in Parc Sanssouci, just walk across the street to our office and I'll hand you a copy. That Beausoleil bookstore, man. I can't I can't walk downtown with my wife and not spend an hour in there. It's ridiculous. Talk about and $100 because you're going to find five books that you love. It's true. I mean, they're great. I and love it, having a local bookstore. It's a great local company. Yes, yeah, support them if you can. Jackie Russo, thanks again for everything that you've been able to to teach us today, and we appreciate you coming on the Raging Review Podcast. Thanks, y'all. Go!